0: Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from AntiWar.com. This is AntiWar News for Thursday, October 5th, 2023. the first story at the top of antiwar.com today biden is worried about ukraine aid after mccarthy's ouster so president biden said wednesday that he was worried about the prospect of congress authorizing more ukraine aid after representative kevin mccarthy was removed as speaker of the house biden said quote it does worry me but I know there are a majority of members of the House and the Senate in both parties who have said that they support funding Ukraine, end quote. And he is right that the majority of Congress still favors spending more on this war. But House Republicans who oppose arming Ukraine do have significant power and leverage, and that was demonstrated by the ouster of McCarthy, uh, Matt Gates launched that effort over allegations that McCarthy cut a secret deal with Democrats to bring new Ukraine aid to the floor. So one of the Republicans who announced that he's running for speaker is Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio, and he has said that he is opposed to additional funding for Ukraine. So Jordan has voted against aid for Ukraine basically the whole time, going all the way back to the $40 billion aid package that was passed in May 2022. So that $40 billion bill, that was, that was the only Ukraine aid package that was voted on as a standalone bill. So you could get a good idea of where people stand on that. Um, and because of this position, Jordan has earned a grade of F from Republicans for Ukraine. Now, Republicans for Ukraine is a neocon project that was launched to rally GOP support for the proxy war. Uh, It's being led by an organization that is headed by Bill Kristol, and they have a a section of their website called Ukraine Report Cards, and it shows uh, the member of Congress and how they voted on all the Ukraine legislation, and then they give them a grade. So if you go down to uh, Jim Jordan, the only thing that he has voted on uh, was the Ukraine Lend-Lease Act. If you remember, that happened right at the beginning of the war, which allowed the U.S. to lend or lease weapons to Ukraine like the U.S. did the Soviet Union, the British, and the French before formally entering World War II. You know, they haven't needed it because they've just been giving Ukraine all these weapons. But So Jordan voted for that, but he's voted against everything else. They consider him anti-Ukraine, so he has a grade of an F. So I think, you know, if if someone like that was the Speaker of the House, that would be very significant. Um, now, the other candidate who has announced he plans to run for Speaker is Steve Scalise, and he has earned a grade of B from Republicans in Ukraine, and he's voted on everything for them. So I guess he's not too, you know, doesn't have the rhetoric that the neocons would prefer. But so uh, I think there's going to be others that might try to run for speaker. uh, But, you know, again, and I'm not really sure right now who has the better chance. But again, I think it would be very significant if the speaker is against this proxy war. And make things really difficult for Biden. So Republicans are planning to hold a speaker election on October 11th. According to Bloomberg, all legislative action is likely to halt until then, meaning that President Biden will not get the additional $24 billion that he is seeking to spend on this war You know, in the meantime. So the president said that he will soon deliver another speech on why the U.S. should continue to fuel the war. And he also hinted that he may have another way to get the money. Biden said, quote, there is another means by which we may be able to find funding, but I'm not going to get into that right now, end quote. So I'm not sure what that could mean. And realistically, there there probably is many ways that he could keep this proxy war going if uh, he can't get the uh, aid passed through Congress. Um, and then there is always the chance that some kind of deal is made on the Ukraine aid, you know, and things can happen very quickly in Congress. One day, you know, you might wake up and the headline might be, Oh, you know, they, the House passed the Ukraine aid bill. Um, cause there's all sorts of procedural stuff, but it does seem right now that there's not going to be a vote until at least next week on the House speaker. Um, so we'll see how this all plays out. And, you know, the, the, Republicans will still have the power to oust the speaker, as far as I'm aware, unless they change it uh, by introducing a resolution like Gates did. Just one one of them has to do it. So they're going to have leverage over whoever the next speaker is. Um, all right, so the next one here, uh, Ukraine is freaking out over the lack of new U.S. aid from Congress. So you're going to notice a theme uh, you know, in tonight's uh, stories. There's a lot of freaking out going on. So Ukrainian officials are freaking out over the uncertainty about new Ukraine aid being passed through Congress, and this was said by a Ukrainian member of parliament speaking to Politico. The MP said, quote, we are freaking out for us. It is a disaster. We are interested in getting things sorted out so American democracy can function, and so we can restore the bipartisan consensus on supporting their own national interests by supporting Ukraine, end quote. Um, I would say what's happening in the House is democracy uh, functioning. <laughs> uh, but the ouster of Kevin McCarthy, uh, what I mentioned, this is might be a little repetitive, some of the things I mentioned in this article, but basically uh, this is just saying that Ukrainian officials are kind of scrambling right now because their biggest backer all of a sudden can't get this aid passed like they could so easily before. So Ukraine's ambassador to the United States, Oksana Markarova, she Um, recently said in a statement, she put out a statement about what happened in the House, kind of, you know, in Ukrainian to the Ukrainians, so they would understand the situation. And then she also said that there is at least $1.6 billion left for the U.S. to arm Ukraine using that presidential drawdown authority, which ships weapons directly from Pentagon stockpiles. She said $1.6 billion was left, but the other day the Pentagon told Congress that they have $5.4 billion. So... That five point four billion is a lot. They can go a few months with that amount uh, to keep sending weapons over there. Um, but the other thing is, is this budgetary aid. She also mentioned that they have just over one billion dollars in that left, and and that's going to cover Ukrainian government expenses for October. Uh, but they're not sure what's gonna happen in November. As I, I covered that a story yesterday that the Wall Street Journal reported on. They're worried that the the money's gonna dry up. And the fact is the US has been uh funding the salaries of Ukrainian government workers. So I'm sure they're uh they are freaking out about that. Um All right, so the next one here, 11 anti-war activists arrested in Senator Bernie Sanders' office. So this article uh, is from Code Pink, the activist group, and a group of 50 activists and Vermont constituents staged a sit-in inside Bernie Sanders' office on Wednesday demanding the senator to call for peace and diplomacy in Ukraine instead of more weapons and war. The sit-in resulted in the arrest of eleven activists, including an eighty-nine-year-old Code Pink peace activist, and the group was joined by Green Party presidential candidate Dr. Cornell West in the Senate lobby for a prayer vigil before the sit-in. So they were actually they were pretty active. The Code Pink people uh, on Wednesday talking to a lot of members of Congress, people outside, and. You know Bernie Sanders has been really bad on Ukraine. He recently tweeted something about, "Oh, we have to get this new Ukraine aid funding uh, passed through." And you know it's interesting. I saw on Twitter, Marjorie Taylor Green tweeted a picture with Code Pink activists saying she agreed with them and that we needed to end the war in Ukraine. It's just kind of the difference in politics in D.C. How, how much they've changed, you know, over the past few years. Um, so yeah, just we wanted to highlight this. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the people arrested was Jody Evans, who's a co-founder of Code Pink. I saw a video of her getting arrested on Twitter. Um, She expressed her disappointment in Sanders, who has voted for more weapons to Ukraine and even criticized Democrats who called for peace talks. Um, So, yeah, that's where we're at right now with the, uh, the progressives in Congress, at least. All right, so the next one here, NATO is at the bottom of the barrel of weapons stockpiles. So more about the the West running out of weapons. So the head of NATO's military committee is urging the alliance to increase arms production, warning that the bottom of the barrel of NATO stockpiles is now visible due to the massive amounts of weapons and ammunition that have been shipped to Ukraine. So this is Dutch Admiral Rob Bauer. He made the comments on the first day of the Warsaw Security Forum. He said that NATO military budgets increased before the Russian invasion, but that the Western arms industry did not increase production capacity. He said, quote, and that has led to higher prices already before the war, and that has actually been exacerbated by the fact that we now give away weapon systems to Ukraine, which is great and ammunition, but not from full warehouses. We started to give away from half full or lower warehouses in Europe, and therefore the bottom of the barrel is now visible. And we need the industry to ramp up production at a much higher tempo, and we need large volumes. End quote. Um, so I just remembered I should have included this in the article, but earlier in the war. He was talking about how the West, the U.S. and NATO might need to go on kind of a war economy footing, you know, with their governments, um, you know, putting down orders for, you know, factories that produce other things to start making weapons like, you know, the U.S. did during World War II. Um, And that was a while ago that he said that. Uh, And earlier this year, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said that Ukraine was using artillery shells at a faster rate than the entire alliance can produce. And, you know, this all raises questions about the sustainability of NATO funding and fueling this proxy war. Um, So Bauer's comments came after a British military source told the Telegraph that the UK was out of weapons to give Ukraine. So, you know, there's just been a lot of signs that You know, this thing might not be able to continue uh, for as for much longer or at the rate uh, that they've been arming Ukraine and Ukrainian officials have been very candid about the fact that without this support, mainly from the U.S., but also from the European countries, without it, they they wouldn't be able to fight this war. Um, All right. So the next one here, U.S. transfers alleged Iranian ammunition shipment to Ukraine. So, the Pentagon announced Wednesday that it had transferred a shipment of ammunition, typically used in rifles, to Ukraine that it claims was seized from Iran last year. U.S. Central Command said this was done on October 2nd, 2023. The U.S. government transferred approximately 1.1 million rounds of 7.62 millimeter ammunition, which is typically used in rifles like an AK 47. Um, So they sent that over to the Ukrainian armed forces. The command said that the ammunition was seized on December 9th off a vessel bound for Yemen. The U.S. said that the shipment was from Iran and was intended to arm Yemen's Houthis. And for their part, Iran denies that they arm the Houthis and the Houthis also deny that they receive smuggled Iranian weapons. The U.S. Navy often seizes weapons shipments going into Yemen. And, you know, it's usually small arms like this, like ammunition for rifles or it's AK-47s. I mean, things that are very common that could really come from anywhere. You know, I'm sure Iran gives the Houthis some kind of support. uh, But the fact is, we don't really know. And it's also funny how the U.S. is always claiming that Iran is, you know, sending all these weapons into Yemen when you have the US on the other side throughout the brutal war in Yemen which thank thankfully there's been a ceasefire that's held pretty good since April 2022. But I mean the US was, you know, gave the Saudis an air force. They were maintaining their air force um and completely enabling the destruction of that country and forcing a blockade. So The level of support that they even accuse Iran of giving the Houthis is nothing near what the U.S. has given the Saudis in this war. Um, But anyway, uh, the CENTCOM said that the ammunition became available through civil forfeiture claims made by the U.S. Justice Department against Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. So according to CNN, the DOJ is also seeking the forfeiture of more than 9,000 rifles. 284 machine guns, about 194 rocket launchers, more than 70 anti tank guided missiles, and more than 700,000 rounds of ammunition that the US Navy allegedly seized from Iran. Again, nothing crazy, not any kind of really advanced weapon systems. Uh, The US is looking to unload the weapons into Ukraine. As I just mentioned, NATO stockpiles are dwindling. So, this is the things that they're resorting to um and one you know 1.1 million rounds of small arms ammunition isn't really that much uh all right so the next one here massive drone attack on russian border regions the russian defense ministry on wednesday said that air defenses downed 31 ukrainian drones over three russian oblasts that border ukraine and those are the oblast of belgorod bryansk and kursk So according to AP, and this does sound like the highest number I've heard in a single day, they're saying that this appears to be Ukraine's single largest cross-border drone attack on Russian territory since Russia launched its invasion last year. The governor of Belgorod also reported heavy shelling, saying that a total of 80 munitions were fired at the oblast. Russia has made clear that it believes Ukrainian drone attacks on Russian territory would not be possible without help from the the U.S. and NATO. The Economist recently reported that Ukrainian drone attacks on Russia use intelligence, often from Western partners. Ukraine has stepped up its attacks on the Russian mainland and Crimea as its counteroffensive has stalled. Also on Wednesday, Russia said that it stopped a Ukrainian landing team from entering Crimea. So the Russian Defense Ministry said that it was in the northwest section of the Black Sea. Planes of Russia's aerospace forces prevented a Ukrainian assault force from uh, infiltrating Crimea. Um, All right. Let's see what's next here. Germany denies Ukraine cruise missiles. This article is from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute. So a German newspaper has reported that Berlin has no near-term plans to send Kiev Taurus cruise missiles, and the Ukrainians have really been asking for these. Uh, This was reported by the Bild newspaper. Uh, They said Germany was unwilling to send the missiles out of fear that they would use them to target the Kerch Bridge, which is the Crimean bridge that connects southern Russia with the Crimean Peninsula. That's been attacked twice during this war, one I believe the first time was a truck bombing, and then uh, the second time was a drone boat that hit the bridge. And the, Russia views this as very critical infrastructure. Um, so these missiles, I believe, have a range of about 300 miles. So that would be a pretty significant um, increase in you know NATO in, in in the range of missiles that NATO would be supplying Ukraine. There were some signs recently that the Germans were thinking about doing it, uh, but it looks like they're not for now. But when it comes to Germany and when it comes to Olaf Scholz, you know, he ruled out sending tanks, he ruled out allowing the transfer of warplanes, and he's done both of those things since. And when he initially said that he was against sending planes and tanks, he said he was trying to prevent World War III. But now here we are, and he's allowed those things to happen And, you know, escalations keep continuing as long as this war keeps getting fueled by NATO, you know, the risk of a direct war between NATO and Russia is increasing. And, you know, that's why hopefully uh, this becomes untenable for the U.S. and NATO and that they're forced to um, push Ukraine to make a peace deal with Russia so people stop getting killed. And so this risk of nuclear war, you know, goes down a little bit. Um. All right, so the next one here, Senate Foreign Relations Chair to Block Egypt Aid. So this is another one from Kyle. Senator Ben Cardin informed the State Department that he would like to withhold over $200 million in military aid earmarked for Egypt over concerns about Cairo's human rights abuses. The potential suspension comes after the former chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee Senator Bob Menendez was indicted on charges that included accepting bribes to aid the Egyptian government. So Cardin is Menendez's uh, replacement, and he's saying that they want to hold, you know, he's trying to correct for what Menendez was doing, it seems like, and he wants to hold up more aid to Egypt. Egypt receives over a billion dollars in military aid from the U.S. each year. So $200 is not too much. Yeah, so they get one point three billion dollars in annual military aid that's a lot and a portion of that aid 300 million dollars is meant to be contingent on cairo not committing significant human rights abuses and the state department report on human rights in egypt has annually reported systematic atrocities committed by cairo so um What's interesting is, I I covered this a few weeks ago, there was a story that said the U.S. is going to take some of the aid, I believe it was about $85 million, and that was meant for Egypt, and give it to Taiwan, as they they want to ramp up military aid for Taiwan. So it shows what the priority is for the U.S. Um, All right, so the next one here, thousands displaced by clashes in U.S.-occupied Syria. This article is from The Cradle. And according to the UN, about 6,500 families have been displaced by recent clashes between the U.S.-backed Syrian Democratic Forces, that's the Kurdish force in the region, and Arab tribesmen in Deir Azor, who have been leading a rebellion against the Kurdish militia, militia since August. So a UN official said, or a UN report said, quote, approximately 6,500 families have been displaced to government areas. Essential services were impacted due to the hostilities, end quote. Um, so these, this fighting is still going on. And, you know, this is, again, a U.S.-backed force in U.S.-controlled Syria. This is in Deir where much of the oil fields are located, And a pro-government newspaper claimed on October 3rd that the SDF is barring the displaced from returning to their homes. So I guess the allegation is that they don't want the Arabs that that have left to come back. Um, The Kurdish groups have been accused of facilitating demographic changes favoring northern Syria's Kurdish population. Heavy clashes between the SDF and... And formerly allied Arab tribes began on the 27th of August when the SDF arrested Ahmad al-Kabil, also known as Abu Kawa, and he's an allied commander of the Deir Azor Military Council. So uh, this Deir Azor Military Council was at one point backed by the U.S. as well, and this is not a new thing to see two U.S.-backed forces fighting against each other. Um, <clears throat> Alright, so the next one here Kenyan police heading to Haiti Have a history of brutality um, This article is actually from the New York Times Out of all places um, But it has just good information about you know the, thing, the things that Kenyan police have been accused of Now that they've been picked To lead this intervention in Haiti Which is a US operation It's funded by the US um, And they convinced Kenya to go do it, um, and it just goes over some of those things. So, Kenyan police officers have shot and beaten hundreds of protesters this year. Human rights groups have said, raising concerns about what level of force will be used to combat organized criminal groups in Haiti and whether that will put civilians in harm's way. Um, and there's just a lot of information here about the situation, and there's some reports saying that Kenya is saying that it's probably going to take three years. This operation to quell, uh, to restore order in Haiti, and there has been a lot of violence on the streets in Haiti. According to the UN, 3,000 people, nearly 3,000 people were killed in a six-month period. But at the same time, you have the government of Ariel Henry, which is unelected. He came to power when Jovenel Moïse, the previous president, was shot and killed and, you know, people view the Enri government as illegitimate. There's been uprisings against him. It's not just this fighting on the street. I don't know too much about Haiti or what's really going on there, but this just seems like a really bad idea. It seems like it's going to be a disaster sending in this foreign force uh, with all this violence going on and all, you know, a government that people don't view as legitimate. it could. It's just going to be a mess. It's going to just going to stir things up even more. Um, All right, so that is it for the news for today. Go check out our viewpoints. We have one from Jeffrey Sachs, Beyond the Neocon Debacle and Towards Peace in Ukraine. We have one from Ted Galen Carpenter, Congressional Media Hypocrisy on Cluster Bombs. One from Lori Calhoun, Stone Cold Dead Republic When Everything is Cast as a War. One from Ivan Aland, a lack of introspection on failed US foreign policy. And our spotlight is from Daniel Larison, an armed mission in Haiti is a mistake. And he makes a lot of really good points about why it's a bad idea. Uh, but that is everything. You could always help the show by sharing it on social media, telling your friends, commenting on YouTube or Rumble or Odyssey, wherever you watch. Um, if you listen to the podcast, you could leave a review. I appreciate all that stuff. Um, that's it for me for today. I will be back tomorrow. Tomorrow will be the last show of the week, Friday. Um, but that's it. I'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening.